I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Good to see you again. I have a quick confession to make. Uh, I have not been live since uh, July 12th. Uh, I have spent some time in Europe and in Africa, and you'll see some of that uh, beginning of next year on the, the broadcast show on Life Today. But that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, I, I say that just to point out, if I ignored you in the chat, it wasn't intentional. Uh, I am here, so if you want to jump in today's conversation, especially, uh, and you're watching us live, feel free to do that. We're talking about uh, an issue that is close to my heart, being an adoptee, uh, an unplanned pregnancy, uh, a, a child that my, my biological mother just couldn't take care of at the time, uh, and... You know, looking back on, on that whole thing, I just see God's hand all the way through it. I have a wonderful relationship with my biological mother today, uh, and in my biological father I found much later in life. Uh, he just turned 86 yesterday, and I called him and said, Happy birthday. So, you know, God can take the difficult circumstances and make them into something good. But the world has a whole different viewpoint uh, and we're going to be talking about that today we're talking about the kill pill what is that why do we need to know about that what can we do about that and my guest today is dr ingrid scop she is the director of medical affairs at the Lozier institute and uh, she is also a practicing OBGYN. so she knows what she's talking about so I invite you to be a part of the conversation if you're watching in the replay. We do appreciate your comments as long as they're nice. Uh, and so uh, feel free. You don't even have to agree with us, by the way. Uh, it's, it's not the disagreement that I don't like. It's the unkindness <laughs> that gets the delete button real quick. Uh, Dr. Scott, we appreciate you being here. Welcome to Life Today Live. Thanks, Randy. I'm so happy to be with you. So let's, let's kind of start from the top because I saw this and I, I thought, okay, I've heard things about this this drug, but I, I really don't know much about it. What is what I'm calling the kill pill? It's, it's complicated and a lot of people don't understand it. Um, for one thing, it's a combination of two drugs. Um, they're called medication abortion, or I prefer to call them chemical abortion because of course there are no medically helpful properties to these drugs. Their, their goal is, is to end human life. Um, it's not the same as emergency contraception, um, which is an action taken after unprotected intercourse to try to prevent fertilization. A chemical abortion is given when a human life is known to exist with the intent of ending that life. The regimen approved by the FDA is two drugs, mifepristone, also known as mifeprex or RU486, uh, may be familiar to some people, mm. blocks the hormone progesterone. So it cuts off the hormonal support, kills the embryo or the fetus. Um, and then it's followed about 24 to 48 hours later by mesoprostol or cytotech is another word for that one that essentially induces labor to mm. expel the pregnancy tissue. Um, the It doesn't always work. Some women will have very heavy bleeding 
about 40% of women describe the pain as severe. They're going into labor to push out the pregnancy tissue. Mm. And sometimes their body cannot get rid of all of the tissue. Mm. Um, it, it, retained tissue can require surgery. We'll discuss the details, but about one out of 20 women fails to have a complete abortion with these drugs and requires surgical intervention. And about one to 3% of the time it fails entirely to kill the baby. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, quick, just test my knowledge here <laughs> real quick. So in the pregnancy process, so you, you have a fertilized egg and it takes about, I believe, seven to 10 days for that fertilized egg to implant in the wall of the uterus. Is is that the process? Um, about five to seven days for the okay. early embryo. Um, okay. A lot of people do call it a fertilized egg, but once the egg is fertilized, it's already a unique human being with his own um, chromosomal makeup. In many half of the cases, it's a boy. Oh, wow. um, so it's no longer specific to the woman in terms of its genetics. It's now its own individual person, but it does take about five to seven days um, for it to travel through the fallopian tubes implant. And only with implantation can we detect the pregnancy hormone in the blood or okay. the urine. And is the woman able to tell that she's pregnant, okay. but the life exists even before then. And is it, is it fairly common for uh, a fertilized egg to not implant? Isn't that what a spontaneous abortion or is a natural process is? Is that right? Well, natural loss occurs very commonly. Once a pregnancy is known to exist, once implantation has occurred, miscarriages or losses occur about 15 to 20% of pregnancies. Mm. But prior to that, some studies have shown that as much as 50%, more than half of embryos may develop or you know begin development, mm. but fail to implant and never be recognized as a pregnancy. Okay. And the loss is common. And so that that's where you're talking about um, the, uh, the some, some uh, well, what's the term? Where uh, you, you don't, you're trying to prevent pregnancy intentionally and with like like a, a the pill the like a woman's on the pill help a contraception yeah, I, I think what you're asking is so both contraception and emergency contraception the primary mechanism of action is to keep an an, an egg and, a, and the sperm separated either okay. by preventing the release of the egg or blocking the sperm um, but there is some concern that if um those mechanisms fail and an embryo is produced that the there could be a secondary action whereby the uterus was not hospitable to the new embryo and he could pass through you know resulting in a loss okay. um I, I, from my research on the topic i think primarily they do prevent pregnancies mm. from occurring it's very very difficult to measure the magnitude of the losses that may occur if an embryo is produced but doesn't implant. But like I said, even in a natural cycle with no contraception present, possibly as many as half of the embryos are lost and don't implant. So it does happen commonly. Okay, okay. And I, and I, I kind of walked through that to understand when we're talking about these chemical abortions, how late are these? Yeah. So with a chemical abortion, we know the woman has a positive pregnancy test. We know that mm. that human life exists. Mm. So that's that's kind of the the difference. The intent is to end the life. The FDA um, 
it, it's been a process of loosening restrictions with the FDA. They approved it in the year 2000. Um, and at that time, they had very tight restrictions. They only allowed it to be used up to seven weeks gestation. That has since been um, uh, lengthened to 10 weeks gestation. But it is something that should only be used early in pregnancy because, of course, the more tissue, the more pregnancy, you know, the larger the fetus, the more placenta um, and other tissue, the more likely it is the woman is not going to be able to extrude all that tissue and the more likely it is to fail. So where in the development would the fetus be at that point? Are we talking heartbeat? Are we talking brain waves? Do we... Yeah, absolutely. What? All of the above. Jeez. At 10 weeks gestation, well, starting uh, 23 days after fertilization, a heartbeat is present. Mm. Um, and very shortly after that, brain waves can be measured. Mm. Uh, the face is forming, the limbs are formed. Um, by 10 weeks gestation, a baby can be seen on the ultrasound sucking his thumb. Mm. And if we pay close attention, we can know already whether he will be right-handed or left-handed based on the thumb he prefers. Wow. So these babies are very quite um, intricately developed. And this is one of the saddest things about chemical abortion is that, of course, the woman goes into labor, her baby comes out of her body into the toilet and many of these women see their child. Jeez. They've been told by the abortion industry, this is just tissue and yet they see a clearly identifiable human being because that he's about the size and appearance of a gummy bear at 10 weeks gestation. He's clearly a human. I, I can't, I can't imagine the trauma of that uh, as a young girl. Um, is this, is this causing you know, a lot of psychological, emotional problems with, with, with women who are told that, yeah, it's no big deal, but then it is a big deal? Yeah. The women who are willing to talk about it, and the, I've seen patients in my office as well as patients in the emergency room that have been surprised and dismayed by the process because mm -hmm. they are told by the abortion industry that this is safer than Tylenol um, and that... Um, it's it's it, it'll just end the pregnancy. Well, they're thinking, especially a young girl is like, well, I take Tylenol for my headache and it's no big deal. Mm. So this is just going to make my pregnancy problem go away and it'll be no big deal. But they, they are not being prepared for what they will experience. Many of these women don't want to talk about it. They keep their shame and their pain within themselves. They don't talk about it. Even the women that I that have been willing to talk about it with me, when I've asked if they want to share their experience or complain about the lack of informed consent that they received, many of them say, Dr. Scott, I, I feel that this is probably what I deserved mm. for making the decision that I did. And so they keep it, they keep it, they keep silent about it. But I think we all recognize that's gonna the trauma of that is going to be long lasting. Um, and it's, you know, this, it, your audience should be aware that every year we see more and more chemical abortions. In 2020, more than half of the abortions in our country were performed by these chemicals. Hmm. Again, as you can tell, there's no benefit to a woman. It's a very traumatic process. On average, lasts about two weeks. So it's not over with quickly. Um, 
but for the abortion industry, there are a lot of advantages. And I'll tell you, as an obstetrician, like 90% of obstetricians, I don't perform elective abortions. Many obstetricians will say they're pro-choice, but they don't want to get their hands dirty by doing surgical abortions. Mm. So the abortion industry has a problem. They have a staffing issue. They can't find doctors willing to do surgery. And so they're promoting women to self-manage their own abortions. I mean, yes. nobody, no doctor is present to help them. And of course it helps the abortion industry provide more abortions. And also in the wake of the Dobbs decision, almost half of American states have abortion restrictions that they have passed trying to protect unborn life. Mm -hmm. And so they're using it as a way of circumventing these restrictions to get abortions to women in states that are trying to protect life. I'm in Texas. I am still caring for women with chemical abortion complications, even though it's been restricted for almost two years now. So how, how, how are they getting it? Well, let's let's go back a little bit to what the FDA has done. So as I mentioned early on in, in the year 2000, now they did approve it in a in a real um, sort of a deceitful fashion. They used um, it's called subpart H accelerated approval regulations that are meant for life threatening illnesses for which there is no other treatment. Of course, pregnancy is almost never life threatening, but nonetheless, they approved it under that um, category. They never did the required studies for pediatric population. They're required by law to use studies that replicate the terms that they allow um, the drugs to be used in. They never did that. They took away the mandatory complication reporting in 2016. Um, and they said no longer did it need to be a doctor prescribing it, even though only a doctor could take care of the women who needed surgery. In using the COVID pandemic as an excuse in 2021, they took away the in-person prescribing requirements. They said that was because the pandemic made it too dangerous for a healthy woman to go to a clinic. <laughs> but what that did is it removed the opportunity for a doctor to look a woman in the eye to find out if she wanted the abortion, yeah. to do a physical examination, to do an ultrasound, to do labs. And it allowed these pills not just to be prescribed by telemedicine, but to be ordered over the internet, delivered through the mail from international distributors with no medical supervision at all. So that is the world that we live in today. These women are not getting informed consent. And in fact, we don't even know, is it a woman who wants an abortion who's ordering it? Is it a sex trafficker, mm. incestuous abuser, mm -hmm. coercive boyfriend? There's no way to know because there is no supervision on these pills anymore because of the FDA's actions. Um, women are asked to guess their gestational age. Jeez. If they're wrong, if they're a month further along, studies show us 6% of the time it fails at less than seven weeks gestation. That rises to about eight to potentially 10% um, later in the first trimester. In the second trimester, 38% of the time it fails and the women need surgery. And so that's happening. Women are taking these pills and there's no provider to go back to. They, they, they're forced to go to the emergency room for mm. their care because they don't even have a relationship with a provider. Mm. And also um, ectopic pregnancies aren't being diagnosed. About 2% of the time a pregnancy's 
in the fallopian tubes, it's not in the uterus. These pills don't work on ectopic pregnancies and nobody's making that diagnosis and giving them the pills. And we know that women have died from ruptured ectopics while undergoing chemical abortion. And that is likely to continue because of the way it is being provided right now to women. So in answer to your question, a lot of people are getting access to these pills. They're bringing them into the states that are trying to protect unborn life. Whoa, uh, this sounds like not just a, a concern for those of us who are pro-life, but a legitimate medical concern. I mean, this this sounds like we're putting women's health, mental, emotional, and physical health at risk. Um, for yeah, absolutely. If studies consistently show that there's about four times as many complications from a chemical abortion compared to a surgical abortion. Of course, I think no abortion should be needed because there's so many um, opportunities for women to receive the support that they need in our country to help them carry their children. But even if you were someone who said, yeah, I, I think that we should keep it available, a surgical abortion would be a much less complicated way to mm. do it, much less emotionally traumatic, as we discussed, because these women are seeing their, their children whose lives they've ended. But the abortion industry has no intent of going back to more surgical abortions. Yeah. They're fighting tooth and nail to keep this chemical abortion regimen available. And if by chance mifepristone should be withdrawn from the market, they've already told us and they're already starting to promote what they call the one pill regimen, which is mesoprostol alone, the second drug that doesn't kill the baby, it just induces the labor. And yet international studies have shown that 22% of the time, nearly one in four women will be unable to have a complete abortion with mesoprostol and will require surgery. So again, mm. they're, they're, the abortion industry has shown that their priority is not women or women's health. It is the death of the unborn child. Yeah. And if the woman suffers collateral damage, they do not seem to care. We're talking with Dr. Ingrid Skop of the uh, Lozier Institute. In fact, if you want to follow up with them, lozierinstitute.org. They've got a lot of great information. They've got facts about the abortion kill pill. Uh, if you want to verify any of this they've got the the medical data to, to back it up and to educate you on this um I, I have a question for you dr scott who's making money on this well you know i think that money is a motivation for many of the providers of abortion but i think there are other motivations even besides money hmm. we often if you look closely you will often see a eugenic motivation because most of the population of women receiving abortions are minority um, primarily black women um, you will see population control motivations hmm. many of the large funders um bill gates um uh, many of these, um, the Buffett Foundation, um, mm -hmm. they they often have have promoted population concern ideology. And if you look internationally at the way abortion is being promoted, you will see that it is often developing countries with very poor medical healthcare systems, and they're promoting these chemical abortion pills there. Wow. And again, if one out of 20 women 
uh, a recent Lozier study documented through records linkage, through looking at all of known abortions in the 17 states where Medicaid pays for it, and then linking to subsequent medical events, 5% of the women had an emergency room visit within 30 days um, related to the abortion. Yeah. So they're promoting these pills in countries where there is no emergency yeah. room yeah. to help these women. And there is no blood banking system that is available for the transfusions that are needed. So it's more than just money. There, yeah. there, is, some, there is some very um, concerning ideology behind this. Um, and, um, you know, like you said, th thank you for pointing out the Lozier website. I'm a, a physician, I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher, and everything that we say is documented by the peer-reviewed literature. So we're not pulling numbers out of mm -hmm. preference or ideology. It, you, your um, audience should recognize that in the United States, most of the studies that presumably document that chemical abortion is safe have been performed by the abortion industry. Um, because most abortions are paid for privately, we do not have the ability to do records linkage for most abortions. So we, and women often, as I mentioned earlier, won't talk about their abortions. Our study documented that 60% of the time these women who went to emergency rooms were miscoded as a miscarriage. Hmm. So this just goes to show that hmm. they don't even, they're not even willing to tell the doctors hmm. caring for them that they had an abortion. And often the abortion industry studies will have 15 to 35% of the women lost to follow up. So they'll tell you about the complications they know of. They'll generally report one to 2%. But when you do high quality studies where, you, and, and in European countries, we've done this as well, where we know all of the abortions and we can document that again, at least 5%, sometimes even higher, we'll see that these women have complications, need surgery, often in emergent conditions. It's mm. not the same as if they'd chosen a surgery at the beginning. Yeah. They've been bleeding. Yeah. I've cared for women who bled for two months uh. before they came into the emergency room and got the surgery they needed. So the emotional consequences, the physical consequences are quite high for women. Yeah. Uh, well, it's awful. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's hard to even believe that in a supposedly civilized, advanced society, we're doing this to the children and the women. Uh, it's it's really bad. You know, the whole Me Too movement, you know, where we, we told women who were assaulted by men in power primarily, you know, you don't need to be ashamed. It's not your fault. You need to speak out. I feel like there kind of needs to be a Me Too movement among women who have been victimized by the the ideology, the the false sense of security and ease uh, by this this industry that for whatever reason, whether it's monetary, whether it's ideological, uh, they're pushing this on women who are all, most likely, uh, if they're considering abortion, they're already in distress. Um, how do we how do we uncover? all that's going on? How do we comfort those who have been victimized by this? How do we stop other young women from going down this path? Is there any, you have any idea? Well, I think there, there's, there's a twofold process. The first is education. And thank you for having me on so we can discuss this because yeah. the American public have been gaslit about this issue. Hmm. Again, they're told it's safer than Tylenol. I'll just go back to that. 
The abortion industry is comparing the reported deaths from chemical abortion to deaths from Tylenol overdoses, essentially suicides mm. in our country. Obviously, that's not a valid comparison. And for many reasons, we know we don't pick up all the deaths related to abortion. So education is key so that people know how common the complications really are. Um, but the second thing is just, I think the church does a good job with this and, and the crisis pregnancy centers do. Mm -hmm meeting with women in their pain and suffering, even the women who've chosen abortion, crisis pregnancy centers, one of the beautiful services they offer is abortion recovery counseling. Yeah. So, so many women are in pain. Um, some churches do this well, others don't really talk about abortion because they consider it a political issue, but pastors need to be aware. One out of four women have had abortions. Half of those women have come from the church. Mm. So there are suffering women in every pew, in every church in America. And until the church addresses it and reaches out to these women to help them obtain forgiveness and relief from their suffering, they will continue to suffer. Are there any other side effects uh, to this uh, that, that could affect a woman in the future, future pregnancies? Uh, or? or what, what are the expanded dangers? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good question. There are concerns for future pregnancies. Um, for one thing, as I told you, with those women who have retained tissue for a month or two months, well, what's that tissue doing? It's sitting there, potentially developing scar tissue, causing infections. Mm -hmm. So that can scar a woman's uterus, that can scar her... Um, fallopian tubes, it could lead to infertility, mm. it could lead to future pregnancy mm. complications. Um, if a woman requires surgery after a chemical abortion, one very large study documented she has a 361% increased risk, a three to four times increased risk mm. that she will give birth prematurely in her next pregnancy because of the damage to her uterus and her cervix. So yes, there absolutely are subsequent things that can happen. An abnormal placenta, again, if a, if a surgery is done in the setting of an infection, in the setting of an emergency, a hemorrhage, that could lead to surgical damage to the lining of the uterus. In her next pregnancy, that, pregnant, that placenta may not attach right. It may separate prematurely. It may be abnormally invasive. Both of those are associated with catastrophic bleeding at the time of delivery. Mm. So there are so many things that not only can happen to a woman immediately, but can happen over the long term, both physically and mentally. And I think the mental health complications we're seeing more and more, it's not just in the short term, there's long-term mental health complications. Um, recent studies from Lozier documented that about 60% of women documented that they had um, pressure or coercion um, causing them to choose abortion. So these women often don't even want the abortion. They want their child, and yet their circumstances force them into abortion. And again, if they can get it over the internet with no counseling about alternatives, yeah. that's going to make the problem even worse. They're not even going to know that these crisis pregnancy centers can help to support them. Yes, and if you are in a difficult position, adoption is a great option. And I know it's a burden for nine months. I understand that. Um, but I don't know, as, as an adoptee, give us a chance, you know, it can turn out great. Um, so, 
I just it's it's difficult because I have compassion for uh, the young women who are in a difficult position. Um, I have zero compassion for the drug companies that are profiting and pushing this, or the ideological people that think they're they need to control the population or something. I, I, I none, and I will say this, and I won't put this on you, Doctor Doctor Scott. <laughs> so I don't know where you I don't know where you stand, but for me, I will not vote for anyone. Uh, who does not protect the most basic human right, which is the right to life. If you don't have the right to life, no other rights matter. And so I do think voting is important. Uh, and I don't care what political party you got in front of your name. If you're not pro-life, you're not getting my vote. You're not getting my support. What else can we do uh, as individuals who care about uh, protecting women and protecting life? Uh, you know, we talked about education, awareness, voting uh, is is there anything i've missed because i i just we can't just be silent on this yeah well i'd, I'd like to say to start conversations with people who have an ideology different from yours but i've discovered in my own personal life and family that sometimes you just can't have those conversations mm. i would recommend potentially um going to lozierinstitute.org and looking at some of our papers maybe it's a little easier to just forward a, a, an article to a friend and say, curious, you know, read this, I'm curious about your thoughts. But it is, it's such a politically divisive issue. It shouldn't be because I think people in both political parties, if they knew the truth, yeah. would recognize that women are being harmed by abortion. But just w in whatever way you can, just try to educate those around you. Because in, until people understand the reality of it, we're, we're not really going to get very far in stopping this human rights violation against our unborn human um, family members, as well as their mothers who are being harmed as well. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate the work you do in caring for women and in raising your voice uh, and, and putting a spotlight on this. Uh, so, so thank you for the work you do, and thank you for the time you spent with us today, Dr. Scott. Thank you for this opportunity, Randy. Appreciate it. And of course, I appreciate everyone out there watching. I, you know, if you don't know what to say to someone uh, that is uh, pro-abortion, perhaps you could forward this interview and say, "Hey, here's some interesting facts that a OBGYN's laid out." Um, and and let's it, always be kind in this conversation. By the way, uh, if if you're a jerk about it, people aren't going to listen to you. You're not going to sway anyone's mind. So you know, try to maintain. Uh, some civility as we discuss this, but let's discuss it. Uh, and, and most of all, let's give women in a difficult situation hope and support and the care that they need, both emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, and physically. Uh, so that, that's that's my hope. I, I think we are making progress in this country, um, but we've still got a long way to go. So appreciate you guys out there. This is the website for the Lozier Institute, by the way. It looks just like this, lozierinstitute.org. Uh, and if you look up the top, you'll see some research data. Uh, you'll see a lot of things that are going on uh, and some great resources for anyone interested in this. So let's let's get the word out. Appreciate you guys. Candy uh, out there watching. Uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Candy will be a guest on the program soon. <laughs> so we've got more great guests for you. Keep coming back. Keep being a part and keep sharing life today. We'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. But enjoy it. Please all the fun you can out of it. This is your hour.
call his tune going to end. And Booth will be on the throne for a day. Sunday is coming. <laughs>